0: Listening to adoption, fostering, and tea from the UK's LGBTQ adoption and fostering charity, New Family Social. Find us at newfamilysocial.org.uk. I'm Tor, and this week I'm going to be having a cup of tea with Cameron and talking about starting out on the adoption journey. Hi, Cameron, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Hi, Tor, thank you for having me.
0: Oh Of course. So you're right at the very beginning, aren't you? Can you sort of summarise a little bit where you are in this journey?
1: Yeah, the the official answer is absolutely nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> we have been sort of we we uh, we thought we started the process last autumn. It's now uh, August, so so we're nearly nearly approaching a full twelve months. We yeah we emailed our local regional adoption agency last autumn, and that was what we thought. That was us. What we thought was kicking off the process, you know, like we're doing it. We're doing it. We finally decided. And then they came back and said, we're not accepting any new applications at the moment, uh-huh. uh, which was really upsetting because just clicking send on that first email was such a big, you know, emotional moment for us. And then it just comes back with, with that. So that, 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 that was, a that was really disappointing, but actually, where we are now, it was such a blessing because we were so naive when sending that first email. There's so much research and reading we've done since, and we've learned so much about the entire process. Uh, I, I'm so grateful that they, they told us to go away.
0: Right. <laughs> well, I mean, that's good that it worked out that way. What sort of things did you start by researching and who was, who was walking you through
1: what to research? That, that, that was something I found quite frustrating. It's not actually that easy to find out what the actual process is. There's not much information on, there's lots of information about stage one and stage two, et cetera. But...
0: So you said that you wanted to do some some research and try to find out, but I guess knowing what to research is quite difficult. I think there's probably Lots of information about there is stage one, there is stage two, but not necessarily what they comprise. And also, everyone says do lots of reading, but don't necessarily tell you what to read. Can you remember thinking back to just after the RAA said no, where did you start? What were you looking at to begin with for information?
1: Their email that said no did actually include um, a lot of information about, they they did give some recommendations of books to read and they talked about the volunteering uh, so I went ahead and bought uh, a couple of those books and I started reading them. But the, the thing is, until you've sent that first email, you just you don't know. You, 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 you know that there's a, a long journey ahead of you of research and workshops and learning and educating yourselves about everything. But you sort of don't know at what point you're meant to do it yes <laughs> do you know what I mean it could be like well this no that, that 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 you don't need to read that book until stage two or or that that's a stage one book or you don't need to read that at all or you need to know all that yesterday there's yeah there's no information about in what order does this bit happen
0: I, I remember that because we read a book about um drug use in the birth parents recreational drug use in the birth parents and there were so many ifs in it so it's kind of like if this parent has used this recreational drug at this stage of pregnancy, for example, then the possibility is this. But then if the baby was exposed to this at this stage, then that. And if this, then this and that. And then I thought, well, that's 9,000 possibilities. So (laughs) it was almost like I needed a specific child's profile in front of me to be able to go, right, in this child's case, this was used at this stage, which means this. And yeah, I, I found that ever branching, list of possibilities to be a little bit overwhelming to be honest you know if a then a or b but then if a a then a or b and it's like what you know this branching diagram of possible outcomes none of which you can i guess you can mitigate risk to a point if you're thinking i can't cope with this certain thing then you can try to limit the possibility that you will end up coping with that certain thing but you can't eliminate any of it and so it felt quite difficult
1: yeah yeah yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. All, the, all. It's all the unknown factors that can be quite overwhelming, actually, and that, that specifically leads in, leads into our situation at the moment. There's a lot of unknown factors in our lives at the moment, which does affect a, a, a lot of certain things about how we proceed into this into this first step.
0: Is that sort of work related stuff or home related stuff, or
1: it's home related stuff? Um, basically we, where we are at the moment we absolutely love our flat and we think it's perfectly suitable for a child up to a certain age because our our second bedroom because they do stipulate that you do need a spare room yeah which we do have but I wouldn't feel comfortable bringing a teenager up in that room I just think it's 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 a little bit too small so the the fact that we know that our second bedroom isn't the second bedroom for for our forever home does throw in this unknown factor of well uh, at what age is this room unsuitable yes and and does that and then that that also does affect the age of child that we are open to adopting
0: yes i can I can see your thought process there in terms of I recognize parts of myself in some of the stuff that you're saying and I'm a big planner I'm a big planner and a big spreadsheeter. Do you see yourself in that way is that how you approach life generally?
1: No, I'm I go through phases. Sometimes I'm really good at a spreadsheet <laughs> and then I'll 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 blitz the spreadsheet and I'll be all over it and then the next thing I I put my mind to I I'll I'll just throw everything into into the wind if you know what I mean. I'm yeah. I kind of, I'm all over the place in terms of in terms of my organisation. Sometimes I'm super organised. Other times I'm all over the place.
0: Yeah. And so obviously you've been thinking about kind of how long will the place that you live in now be suitable? What else has been going through your mind over the last twelve months that you've been researching and stuff? What other kind of um, questions have you grappled with, or are you grappling with?
1: When I sent that first email back in last autumn, I naively assumed that it, your local adoption agency was was your local adoption agency they were the ones but actually what I've learned now certainly in London uh, if, if you're within an hour's traveling distance of any adoption agency be it voluntary or regional you could you can choose which one you go through Uh yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know that at the time and that's now led us on to researching all of the all the all of the London ones which I think well, we've na- we've sort of we've narrowed down six that we're that we're interested in. No, six that were available to us, and now we've narrowed it down to one that we think we're particularly interested in. This is based purely on a variety of factors. Uh, we've list- we've look- looked at the some of the voluntary ones, as well as the regional ones, and we've also New Family Social put out a recent email saying that these, the, here is a list of the agencies that ha, we have, we have offered a course to. Is Am I, you'll be better at explaining. Than, than yeah. Me. So
0: we are, we're part of a group that ultimately sits under the department for education, but it's kind of complicated how that, that line works, but that's ultimately where it sits under. And it's, Uh, the National Adoption Recruitment Steering Group. And so that group plans recruitment strategy for adoption. So it tries to look at uh, what children are in the system, what adopters are in the system, what barriers people are facing, what's going well, all of those kinds of things and have that strategic overview of that. We were commissioned by that group to train up two senior people from each agency in LGBTQ awareness to start with And secondly, in helping them be more strategic about how they work with our communities. So to plan for that recruitment, to plan their training, to plan the content, you know, those sorts of things. And yeah, about half of the agencies in the country took that up. And so, yeah, you're right. James did put out a list saying these are the ones that took up that opportunity because it was... It was a free course to them, and so hmm. we would hope that they would engage and We also know that at the moment it's one in five adoptions is to same sex couples. I'm picking my words really carefully because it's not to all l g b t q people so we think it's nearer one in four is to all l g b t q people Well, that means we're heading for being quarter of all adoptions, and it it feels very important that the sector is more strategic about how it works with us and plans for our needs as a community um some people sail through the process and some still really really don't and so we want them to be on board with that so yeah we were offering this piece of work to them all and about half took it up
1: yeah which was interesting to me i mean i don't i don't necessarily judge the ones who didn't take it up because i i know that how how busy they must be um but it did throw some light it, it, it certainly helped in our whittling down who we definitely want to talk to
0: yeah absolutely and so without telling me the name of the agency is it um, a voluntary agency or is it an RAA that you've gone with regional adoption it's a,
1: it's a regional one
0: yeah so I'm going to say this for anyone who's listening because I'm sure you know this part but The biggest difference between them is that regional adoption agencies uh, have children that they are responsible for because they're largely made up of local authorities and it's the local authorities that have the legal responsibility for the children. But voluntary agencies do not have their own pool of children, so they don't have that legal responsibility. So if you are assessed through a regional adoption agency, they may match you in-house. They can still match you nationally, but they might match you in-house. Whereas by definition, if you're approved through a voluntary agency, you will be matched through a different place because they don't have their own children. So that's the biggest fundamental difference. Sometimes people find a bit of a difference in resourcing, a bit of a difference in tone and things like that. But ultimately, it boils down to that difference more than anything else.
1: The voluntary agencies also boast about how good their post support uh is yeah that's that, that, that I'm, I'm right in thinking that aren't I
0: a lot of them do put that up as a big um thing that they're offering yeah
1: yeah so does that mean that uh, a regional agency won't this I'm sure they'll have some they'll there they'll, they'll, they will be support in place they, they will have or, or is there no support from from the regional agencies once once they're in your home they're in your home <laughs> and, 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 um, no, there of, is there is post
0: adoption support and so the way that that works is that the authority that the child is from is legally responsible for that support for the first three years. And after that, it becomes the uh, authority that you live in. Right. And so my child was from a different local authority. So for the first three years, it was for them to assess the needs and so on. It still could be provided locally, any support that we had, but it was to be assessed by the authority that he was from. Um, And then after that, it becomes the authority that you're living in. Now, some voluntary agencies are offering a support package as standard as part of the adoption. So they're just assuming that you are going to need it and they're building that into their processes and things. So if they're talking about adoption support above and beyond that statutory support, then that might be an add on. But equally, there are some agencies that specialize in placing children with more complex needs. So some agencies will say Yes, we are placing more complex um, children with more complex needs, but we will give you a year's worth of support afterwards or something like that, or counselling as standard or whatever it is. So you're right to have shopped around. I think you've done a good thing to do that. And you've narrowed it down. And honestly, it's always going to be a bit of a gamble because it's partly which social worker you get. That'll be the person you have most contact with.
1: Well, that's the thing. I've, we've been to all of the There's the information sessions and most agencies also run a meet the adopters a, a session where you get to uh, uh, chat with two or three or four couples or, or individuals who have gone through the adoption process and people like me can me and my husband can ask them questions uh, as, as we are now just ask ask the, the stupid questions that you're afraid to ask <laughs> <laughs> anyone else um and you you do pick up on a, on a, on a tone or a mood or a vibe some of the some of the information sessions are very formal some of them are really informal some of them feel like you've gone back to school and they sort of talk to you a little a little bit patronizingly <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so you you just you just pick up on a vibe that you yeah. vibe with
0: yeah I agree with that completely tell me what other stupid questions you've had along the way because I can pretty much guarantee someone else will have those same questions <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: what I'm most proud of now is the fact that when someone when someone else asks a stupid question I know the answer before (laughs) (laughs) before before them the social worker answers it for them
0: what are your worries then at this stage like you know the things that you haven't gone ahead yet you know I guess and I know that you said that you tried to go ahead straight away but you've now taken a year to do research so what's kept the brakes on for that year
1: I think it's a, the slow realization that this this the home we live in as that we absolutely adore and we're so proud of isn't probably isn't the best home for our family. Um which is which we're sad about but but we're also quite practical in the fact that we've gone okay then well there we go there's a decision made we've also got the unknown factor of you know what's going on with the mortgages at the moment. Yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's so, so there's there's a big spanner in that work. so we're, we're just think we can sort of have, we sort of said, said things like okay well then let's wait for our fixed rate to be up and then we'll renew our mortgage and then we'll see where our finances are yeah. so at that, that's what i mean about all these unknown factors
0: Do you feel like you've got to sort the house though before you can do the adoption You could not kind of do the adoption I, and wait
1: 5 years and then That's move. the advice i i seem to be getting from what i've learned in terms of these information sessions what i believe to be true if an agency suspects that you have plans to move house in the next year or so or in the next two years they may well say come back to us when when you've moved which i think is absolutely the right thing because you don't want to bring a child into a new home after they have potentially moved homes themselves however many times in their very short life and then say oh and now we're going to move yet again
0: (laughs) yeah I definitely agree with that if it's imminent so I can sort of see that if you were saying we're going to be moving in 12 months then yeah do the move and then do the adoption yeah but if you're kind of thinking this wouldn't be suitable for a 12 year old or a secondary school age child and you're thinking of adopting a three-year-old I don't know. Maybe I'm more impatient, but I would just do the adoption, I think, and then deal with the house. Well, that's least that's because... nice to hear.
1: That I yeah, I like that bit of advice because that 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 makes us that makes me happy anyway. Because there, I I am a bit impatient. I'm not 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 that I want to rush the process, but you know, I I definitely know that we're ready. Um, yeah,
0: I just I just kind of think that also. Let's say you're thinking. For a much older child who wants to like host their friends in their bedroom and stuff, you know, have all the older mates around and, you know, talk about Minecraft or whatever they all do now. And, um, you know, I can sort of see that if it's a box room, then, yeah, eventually in an ideal world, it might be that, that child should have a bit more space and stuff. I get that. But um, but then by then you'll know that child. So you'll know the child's passionate about football and goes to football club in so-and-so area so maybe we look at there or we're thinking of thingy secondary school so actually we want to plonk ourselves right next to that secondary school because it's best for this child's needs or or the child loves the outdoors so we want something with a bit of a garden or,
1: or yeah, whatever. yeah yeah you're kind I, of yeah. shopping
0: for a house for a child that you don't know
1: exactly yeah because yeah we're not we the, the family doesn't exist yet so the family yeah. home you know in, in our minds is going to change as soon as the family exists then the family home will the imagination of it will form in our heads.
0: Yeah, honestly, I—I I mean, it's none of my business, but I'm going to make it. Um, <laughs> just, just apply. You'll be fine. Just apply to adopt. it <laughs> <the> happens <hours> later.
1: <laughs> like you always said, you i have heard you say this countless times on this on this podcast. Mm-hmm. The right time to adopt is never and now.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I would absolutely stand by this in this conversation because. I don't know then you move but I don't know maybe you want to build an extension on the kitchen then so do you do that first and then one of you needs to change jobs so do you that do that first and then I don't know one of your parents gets ill so do you see that out first and I think life has a way of just continually throwing you stuff and I think if the waters are calm enough do it and then when the waters get choppy you ride it out as a family I guess and I wouldn't be saying you know if you were saying we're moving in 6 months and this home is profoundly unsuitable then fair enough but honestly if it's suitable enough do it and then move together you know um, yeah great. And yeah moving with kids is hell on toast it absolutely is a nightmare and obviously yeah. for adopted kids it's even more complicated because because of the disruptions and changes they've had but on the other hand you know it's a thing that happens isn't it house moves family yeah. stuff happens and I don't know, I guess you can't you can't necessarily front load all change. I I think my personal opinion. I think so. I think if you think that it's three, four, five, six years down the line, just go for it. <laughs> Fine. All
1: right, you've convinced us. Oh, thanks. Don't blame me <laughs> if it goes horribly wrong. <laughs> but I think it came. It comes from wanting to put your best foot forward and and look like the most appealing couple or individual to to an an adoption agency that 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 we've spent you know the best part of six months trying to try trying to whittle down and and convince someone that we're the right people for them them to take us on so yeah it's about how how can we look the most what's the word (laughs) well saleable I guess saleable
0: well like how can you look like the most appealing prospect you exactly. know yes exactly yeah. how
1: yeah how can we look like the most appealing prospect for for the children they have in their care
0: yeah and i think that one of the things that it took me ages to realize was that you might be not an appealing prospect for one agency but a very appealing prospect for another so again i sat in a meeting where the heads of some of the raas were talking and they were talking about strategically how do we attract the adopters for the children who are actually in the system you know because what they find or have historically found is that sometimes people will come forward asking for one child very young with very very few needs likely to emerge and all those sorts of things and so there can be a big demand for that so they want people who will consider sibling groups and children with more complex needs and children from a wide variety of ethnic and cultural backgrounds and stuff so we're having that conversation But one of the RAA leaders said, in my area, we are desperate for people who will adopt a newborn. We have loads of newborns coming through. We haven't got anybody. We haven't got anyone because we've been recruiting for the kids for, for that story, the story of the older children with more complex needs, perhaps in sibling groups. They're desperate for newborn adopters. And so... You can imagine that one agency might say yes, and another might say no, depending on what children they perceive they've got within their own system at the moment. Right. Um, so again, don't don't worry too much if the one that you've chosen seems lukewarm on you when you finally apply to them. Go round them again and say, you know, what do, does this agency want us? Does this agency want us?
1: Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. I. 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 I what I can't work out is. The email I got back from them the first time when they said no was the, the, the reason they're not accepting new applications was because um, they're they're over subs- they're not they're because of COVID they've got such a backlog they they they've got all these uh, applications to process so they've got essentially too many par- new parents to process than that than there are enough people to do the processing right. mm-hmm um but and i've but i've also heard that there are now we're now in a position i don't know if this is true i hope it is true uh i have heard that there are more parents more more prospective adoptive parents than there are children in the system
0: yeah so the most recent round of stats that's the case but um there is some suggestion that's tipping the other way again right and so um there is suddenly talk again about increasing recruitment again and the other thing is that I'm going to make up the headline numbers. They're not a million miles off, but just for sake of this conversation. Let's say you've got two and a half thousand children and two and a half thousand adopters. That's absolutely fine if they are direct matches for each other. But if those two and a half thousand adopters are asking for children aged under three, straightforward, single children, and if the children in the system our children aged four and five in sibling groups from backgrounds different to those adopters and perhaps with complex needs, you actually don't have two and a half thousand matches in that pool. So it can be somewhat misleading. And a piece of work was just done looking at the hundred children that have waited the longest at the moment and the hundred adopters that have waited the longest, anonymized and, you know, overseeing um, what features those two groups had, why those two groups were waiting the longest. And so, some of those headline stats can be a little bit misleading because of because of that reason. I think ultimately you kind of need to go in it being just true to you and what you feel you... Re- you have to be pragmatic and you have to be realistic, but also you have to be true to yourselves about what you want to do and what family life you want to have. Have you kind of thought about, you know, one child or more or age range or any of those things?
1: Yeah, we... Originally, when it was just a sort of pipe dream, we, you know, you you have the dream of you imagine bringing home this new baby that you've adopted, and it's all perfectly harmonious. <laughs> and then you learn about early permanence and you go, okay, well there you go. That, that, that's a way of getting getting a newborn. And then we we've done our research on early permanence, and we've we've got a seminar next week actually about how the whole thing works. It's it will be my first seminar, but I've done a lot of reading and research on what early on how early permanence works. We have decided, this might change next week, but at the moment we have decided that (laughs) early permanence isn't for us. Right. And also the size of our second bedroom has sort of thought, has made us think, okay, then when we can't go too old and we know that there are no, the the chances of us being able to adopt a newborn is is incredibly slim. So we can't go to an agency and say we will only accept newborns. That's just, they're just not, they're just going to say, please go away.
0: (laughs) Well, or they would say early permanence is the route to do that. Exactly, exactly.
1: So therefore our... Our age range has has fluctuated uh, over the course of of what we've been researching, and now we're kind of at the point where we we, we are getting older and older. We sort of said zero to three, then we said maybe a four year old, and now we're saying maybe five. Now we're saying five, maybe six, mm-hmm. because actually we have to remind ourselves: what are we doing this for? Yes. What what? Why do we want to adopt? And that's that that's a huge question <laughs> to 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 have to have to answer. I don't know if you know what I mean when I say this tour, but there's something, there's something that sometimes feels a little bit selfish about it from from the from the adults' point of view. It's like I want, to, I want to be a parent. I want. Do you, do you know what I mean? And kind of think, why why do I want? Why what is it about it? What is it about it that's going to fulfil me? And is it just a sense of fulfilling me? Surely it should be about fulfilling them. And of course it is. But all these th- silly thoughts go through your head and you know trying to answer the question why do I want to adopt I find it's quite it's, it's quite it's, it's a really daunting question to, to to have to ask yourself.
0: Yes I can I can relate to that to a point I think um, I felt that more in that I felt like a kidnapper in the first months because <laughs> no I did because my son on any given day in those early months would have been happier going back to his foster carers which was the only home he'd known and he was very familiar with them and very safe with them. And he he was affected by being moved from them. And so on those days, and, you know, you said before we started recording that you've listened to quite a few of these podcasts. So you'll know that in those early days, I was struggling quite a lot anyway with coping. And I think that, so probably that was partly feeding this as well. But this sense that if I just drove him back to their house, he would be immediately happier because it would be, the people that he loved and felt safe with. And I felt like I'd kind of stolen him away. And now he was sadder, you know, and it was kind of my fault. And now, like I say, my mental health, it turns out, was pretty much trashed at that point. And so some of those thought processes were, well, massively unhelpful and massively not rooted in actual facts and things. But but those feelings were definitely there. And and I've heard it sort of said more globally, you know, the the amount of resource that it takes to assess adopters and move a child for adoption and do post-adoption support and all of those things. You know, what would it look like if all of those resources were put into the birth family? Now, some birth families might rally in that circumstance and, and many would not rally in that circumstance. But I think there are some big questions like that. But I think ultimately, you kind of end up with a child who in in most cases, I think, you end up with a child that it feels like they needed you, you know, and I think you kind of shape each other as you go. And so, you know, we've, we've shaped my son in that, you know, some of his tastes and things mirror mine and Jackie's. Now, you know, she's gotten massively into, like, comic books and, you know, endless, I mean, Marvel films, God. <laughs> so if I never see another one, it'll be too soon. So you kind of, you know, we've shaped his tastes in that way. We've shaped his sense of humour. We've shaped some of his interests and stuff, you know, all of that, because of course you do by parenting a child. But in the same way he shaped us, like he came with his personality and he's, the way that he is has has shaped us as parents. And, you know, some of the stuff about, for example, like mine and Jackie's own neurodivergence, we learned from his neurodivergence, you know, it was like he came to us, this little sort of explosion of energy and, and wonderfulness. And through that, we were like, oh, those traits. Okay, those traits have a name and what's more Jackie and I have some of those traits it was like okay so this kind of mutual shaping and stuff and like um learning from each other and oh i don't know just just stuff i guess
1: can i ask you uh, you probably explained this in the podcast but why did you want to adopt
0: we we had two birth children first so we had two kids through a clinic first and um really that was that was one of only two ways open to us at the time. So my eldest has just turned 17, terrifyingly. And so um, we're going back 18 years that we were trying to conceive. And um, I am still very, very young though, but, you know, it was 18 years. Um, (laughs) Yes, I was like, I was like 29-ish and, sort of 28-ish, maybe when we started trying to conceive. There were only really practically two options back then. So one was a clinic and there were only a couple of them that would see us. And the other was to do sort of informal sperm donation with a friend. And we were worried about the sort of legal exposure of that, that essentially me and some guy that we'd found would be the legal parents to the child and Jackie would be some random, you know. And we were worried about that dynamic just legally, I think. Um, So we decided to do the clinic route. And we weren't it never even occurred to us to consider adoption and it wouldn't have been an option for us back then because it wasn't available to same-sex couples. Um very quickly after that it was, but it wasn't then. So when it came to having a third child, I think I was just a lot more aware of I became a lot more compassionate to children and having them, you know, um a lot because I always cared about kids, I guess, but in a in a disconnected sense. Whereas having had two kids, looking at them and little they are and how vulnerable they are and how how worried they can get about things and how i don't know just wanting to protect them from the world i guess and then this kind of thing in the back of my mind about some kids didn't have that and some kids didn't have that safe place or kind of a parent who'd go into bat for them or you know someone who would i don't know protect them against the world do their fighting for them you know whatever it was um and i think I sort of looked at our lives and thought do we at this stage create another child you know from a pot of sperm in a freezer or do we go and find a child that needs that and I, probably, I definitely have mentioned this on the podcast before but after our son was placed we got this letter about him and it was from the local authority that he's from and it was from the department called corporate parenting and he was technically parented by a corporation at that stage and the corporation being the local authority, that was who had parental responsibility for him. And I found that phrasing just really chilling, this corporate parenting concept, because he definitely had people in there who cared for him, social workers, who went above and beyond for him and properly had compassion for him and stuff. But ultimately, they weren't his parents and no corporation can kind of do that to that extent. And it, it just felt very chilling to me that his, that concept, and I suppose... Now that he's got us and, you know, we do do his battles for him and like, you know, he didn't want to be in the school play and stuff. And so I'm up at school explaining why he does not have to be in the play if he doesn't want to. And it doesn't expand him as a character if they force him to do it. What it actually does is puts him through hell. And so, no, he doesn't have to do it. And so those kind of battles, that's what you do as a parent. You know, that's when everybody at school sighs when you're walking up the path because you're about to give them hell for something else, you know. So (laughs) that was a very long answer, wasn't it? But I suppose it was... It was something about if there was a spare place in our family, I guess, being much more conscious at that stage, that there would be a child out there who would benefit from that, and and I genuinely now think that he has, you know. So I'm glad, but we've benefited from him too. So yeah,
1: that's exactly the same for us. We 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 feel so blessed and lucky that we have the families that we have, and we had the upbringings that we had, and we've we've got siblings. We've between us, we've got. 17 nieces wow. and nephews <laughs> and we just bringing helping someone in their life and bringing them into our family and hoping that we we can give them give them the same kind of upbringing and family joy that we have we have had but yeah that that would be that would be wonderful
0: and that's lovely and and a good reason to go ahead and stuff I wonder, from listening to you, and it sounds like you've done some really great research over the last year, and it's quite a lengthy process anyway, and it is a process of reflection as well. And so you haven't asked me for advice, but I'm going to embark on it anyway. (laughs) So unsolicited (laughs) advice now. Honestly, I think I would start because it takes a long time. It's a process during which you can do more research, more reflection, and more reading, and it will start to become more real as you go. You'll definitely hear um, more horror stories than are necessarily warranted. You need to hear them because for some people they do define how things are. For most of us, there is some complexity and a lot of straightforward as well. But you're going to have at least another year of that. You know, if not more, like eighteen months, two years, something like that. And you know, they, your child could be out there already. The ages that you're looking at, they could be out there, and yeah, go get them. You know.
1: I think about that often. Sometimes I think, "Oh, my son may have just been born." This
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> it's just a very strange thought. Yeah, that's going back to a question about ages and things like that. Every time we refer to uh, refer to them, we always say mm-hmm. he, which is quite interesting. I, I mean, if I'm honest, I def, I think I know. I, I would prefer a boy, but again, that makes you that makes me feel guilty because that that that's ridiculous because. I, I'd, I'd also love, a, I'd, I'd love a daughter, but if I'm honest with myself, then, you know, the answer, the answer is a boy. But, and then you, you, there's, there's, there's already, uh, I, I've lost my yeah, mind. that's okay. but yeah, that, there's,
0: If you're going to be a parent, you're going to feel guilty the entire time at all, anyway, so that, because <laughs> that settles in. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think you do have to be honest with yourself. And so I think you're right to question what is that about, you know, and ask yourself, is that about just feeling more confident? Therefore, do you want to look at confidence around parenting a girl? Or is it about some sort of interest that you have? And perhaps, you know, we all receive the messaging about girls are like this and boys are like this. It's good to step yeah. back and question that. But ultimately, you also have to be honest with yourself and you have to feel able to say, I don't know, my cutoff age is four. And somebody says, oh, well, what about four and one month? And you're like, well, you know, you can be made to feel ridiculous for things that feel important to you but I think it is yeah. okay that you're honest with yourself.
1: Yeah, that's something I've definitely picked up from 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 all the research. We chatted to a friend of mine who adopted about 7 years ago and he said you will fit, throughout the entire process you feel pretty powerless. Yeah. You sort of you jump in to the to the deep end and you, you are trying not to drown for the entire process. he he said the only time you have any authority or any power is when you say what it is you you are and are not prepared to adopt.
0: Yeah, and much more so actually in your no's. So when you say no, there's power behind that. But you could say yes, yes and still everybody doesn't agree with you and it's then a no anyway. So really you only have a no as an absolute, you know, as the adopter. But so, yeah, so I think you have to kind of believe in yourself when you're saying that and i think it can feel if you were you know if you were a heterosexual couple and you decided that you wanted to start a family then for the majority of people you head upstairs early night and at some point in the following months family on the way job done you know <laughs> um and it's a private thing and you perhaps announce it 3 months into a pregnancy when it's kind of you know fairly sure that the pregnancy will proceed at that stage and all of that but if you're us lot you do it publicly. You phone an agency and you ask, do they want you? And you've already had the experience. They said, no, I don't. So they hang up the phone and, and <laughs> off you go. Yeah. And then you go to information sessions and, you know, you think about what you're going to wear and how you're going to speak. And you make sure you're not snapping at each other in the queue because then they might think that you're awful to each other and stuff. And, 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 and. then they check your house and they check your life and all that.
1: We were late for one of the seminars. It was just a Zoom <laughs> You know, information, and we 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 forgot about it. We were half an hour late in, and we felt awful. And we thought they're writing our names <laughs> down. A black mark yeah. next to us.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a very odd and very public way of attempting to to do something that a lot of people can do privately. It does mean, at the other end, you are as prepared as any parent could ever be for parenthood because you will have thought about it a lot more than people who were able to conceive their own child in that way. So you know, I guess just feel proud of the work that you've done and the research that you've done and the prep that you've done, you know, you'll be great. It's it's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, you. before we finish, is there anything else that you'd kind of like to ask about or any other questions that you've had rattling around or worries that you've had or any of that?
1: Uh, I, I'll tell you what I'm worried about. I'm worried about volunteering at the summer camp.
0: <laughs> I'm very glad that you are. I was thinking <laughs> of asking you that after we turned it off. I'm glad you are. So, um I mean, it's exhausting. Do you like camping?
1: I don't I don't know <laughs> I haven't done it since I was a kid um I, yeah I I'm I'm terrified to be honest I mean, it's it's so far out of my comfort zone um which actually I'm, I'm all for actually because this whole process seems to be everything that is out out of out of you know anyone's comfort zone what I would what I would say is that what I found with going going into the world of adoption there you can't just dip your toe in you have to just dive bomb into the deep end and yeah Uh, if if you need to get out you can otherwise you're you're going to spend the rest of the rest of the time trying not to sink yeah
0: you can sit on that top diving board reading a lot of books about diving you can sit up there and you can check your trunks are on right and you can read a book about it and you can watch a video is it tom daly is he the diver Tom Hardy's the actor, is that right? I can never keep them straight. Anyway, whichever one's the diver, you could, you know, watch videos of him and do as much prep as you like on that top diving board. And at some point you look over the edge and you jump and you might belly flop in, you might beautifully land it, you know, any of those kinds of things, but come on in the pool's lovely. Um, I think, I think camp will be great because, um, there are so many people there and there are so many different stories and you know you're doing the volunteering which means you'll have loads of contact with the kids and stuff some of the kids will tell you bits of their own story as they're sitting there talking to you about their lives and things and you'll see kids of different ages kids of different need levels and
1: that's what I'm looking most for yeah. is, it's going to it's going to give me context to these 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 human beings that I've I've been thinking about you know these this, this hypothetical, this no, this um, this imagined child that I might one day have, and all the children that, that I hear about are in the care system. It's going to give context to that, and it's going to, and I'm going to go ah. This is them. These are the children. Yeah. These are currently these are in the care system or have been through the process. That's right.
0: And, uh, you know, some of those kids who come are now young adults. You know, some of them are 17, 18, 19 or whatever. They can tell their own stories if they want to. Some of the younger ones will tell you bits of it. And sometimes you'll just see it in who they are and how they are and all of those things. And you can chat to the parents and foster carers and sort of say, you know they'll tell you bits about their stories too and all that information taken together will like you say help to humanize what you're just reading on paper at the moment and honestly if you can cope at camp and if you look around and think yes I could parent one of these kids potentially you know I can I can deal with the kind of questions and the bumps and the challenges and the child's fears and all of those things because they are awesome you know the I'm not saying that I don't sometimes you know (laughs) loose get to the end of my tether at camp and go and hide in my room for a bit. But um but yeah, it's the you know, they're kids who had really, really crap starts in life and, you know, they're there being kids and I don't know, I think I think it'll be great. So we'll sit and have a coffee at camp and chat about it. Yeah. Well listen, thank you so much for joining me. It's been really nice to talk to somebody who's right at this thinking stage with all of those questions. And I think lots of people listening will be at that stage too. So it's really kind of you to sort of come on and bear your soul. I wonder if you'd come back maybe in 12 months and talk to us again about where you are at that stage.
1: I will. And I'll probably tell you that we're still <laughs> thinking about if it. you are marching into <laughs> an agency
0: myself and signing
1: you up. <laughs> yeah. I, have to, I do have to say that I... I've I've binged this podcast. I do think it's excellent, and I remember when I first met you at that coffee morning we did on Zoom. I said, "Tor, I'm a little bit starstruck to be meeting you because I've been you've been in my ear for months." (laughs) It's so
0: weird (laughs) to me when people tell me that they listen. I'm like, "Oh, really?" And I know, I know, I can see the stats, but I'm like, "Oh God!" (laughs) So yeah, no, I mean, I'm dead touched. Thank you, and uh, I don't know. I'm glad it's helped. That's kind of the point, I guess, is that you know we've all got bits to add, and you know, hearing your your thoughts and worries and stuff, somebody will be listening and thinking, Oh God, I've got that same worry. I've got that same question. So I'm dead glad. And yeah, I'm going to give you another six months to get moving on this process. Otherwise, I'll come around and have a talk to you. <laughs> Listen, it, it's fab right. to see you. Thank you so much. And uh, I'll see you at camp.
1: Thanks, Dor. See you there.
0: I'd like to thank my guest today, Cameron. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five star review and share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter at LGBT Adopt Foster. And on Facebook, search New Family Social, all one word. Visit our website at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Adoption, Fostering and Tea is produced by New Family Social. The presenter was me, Tor Doherty, with music from Matt Doherty. The producer was John Jenkins. We'll be back next time with more guests and more tea.